1: That's right, listen, welcome to episode 267 of Star Wars Beyond the Films, your Star Wars discussion podcast, your podcast of legends, as well as canon, your ticket to that galaxy far, far away. For over a decade, our episodes continue to broadcast on the Star Wars Report website, Second Airborne Division of Podcasts at www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes can also be found on iTunes, as well as Stitcher, and even Spotify, and right on our own Twitter and Facebook pages at Films. David, enough about how you got here, let's get this show started. I'm one of your hosts, the defender of the EU, the champion of the multiverse, the bipolar Star Wars fan, Mark Erleman, and with me like a tauntaun on the icy plains of Hoth that will freeze before we reach the first marker, the doctor of timelines and a Wookie-sized Star Wars fan in his own right, our own Dr. Jim Lehane!
0: I find it hilarious. Do you think of those, like, beforehand and, like, write them down? Or you just come up with them as you go? Because I try to do that, and you can literally hear the gears grind shut every time (laughs) I try to – I I, I, I try it on um, my other podcast, Talking Tauntauns, and Nicole, my co-host, she makes fun of me because I I, – apparently I just don't think that fast. Uh,
1: Well, I – I do think of it on the fly, but a fly long enough to write it down into the show notes. So when I'm actually reading it, it's not on the fly, but I mean, I did come up with it on the fly. It is something I also do at Subway. Um, I I do the drive-through, so I'm always making puns. In fact, I've got some of my customer trained. Uh, This lady came through the other day, and my friend Matt and me were working together, and we kind of switch off every now and again. So at this point, he's taking the customer, and she's like, I want to get a foot long Joe Pesci. And he's like, what in the f is that? And I'm just like, that's a foot long spicy Italian with American cheese. <laughs> but it's just I'm I'm constantly doing these little puns and stuff like that with this thing. So it's like and everybody asks me the same question. Are you coming up with that on fly? And I'm like literally coming up with it on the fly when I'm doing that. So I kind of like think that like helps to a degree. But yeah, I've always had this. With me like, and then I'm like, okay, what what can I make it with the show? Like, today's, I was like, do I want to go with the Tauntaun thing, or do I want to go with something more of our topic? And honestly, I felt like it was more a po to go with this, because it kind of leads us into, uh, you know, a side topic of a such.
0: <laughs> I, I, I figured, you're just... You'll notice I, I have pauses before I talk because I just I I do not think that fast. It just take it takes me it takes me a while to organize the words in my head before they come out of my face. <laughs>
1: <laughs> right, that's why you sound so wise and I sound so sporadic.
0: <laughs> no, you're good. Like that's like I said, I, I'm impressed with uh I'm impressed with your intros because I should tr- I've been trying to do it and I cannot. <laughs> <laughs>
1: So uh, recently I was on Jim's uh, other podcast, Talking Tauntauns. We were discussing uh, The Great Brotherhood by Mike Chen. Um, so if you want to hear us talk about that, you'll need to hop on over there. I'll have to put a link to the episode in our show notes. Um, Jim, why don't you tell the listeners that don't know, which is probably three of them because they all follow you rampantly. Uh, tell them, you know, about your other podcast.
0: Oh, like I, like I said, we've been going for three, four, five, something in their years. We're um, a little over 100 episodes, clearly not as long as uh, you and now I have been doing this show, but uh, it was kind of a, uh, I really wanted to get into podcasting, and so that's the, the show that uh, we started with through AIPTcomics.com, um, and I started with JJ and Connor, who were both writers on there, uh, J.J. just had a, um, a kid, so he has temporary or permanently, not quite sure, left the show for uh, right. parenthood because, as any parent knows, it takes a lot of time and effort, and you just don't have time or effort to do fun things like podcasts. Uh, right. Connor had left to do his own thing because it was a lot of work to do the show, and so we brought on Nicole. Um, and so mostly it's me and Nicole and, uh, we try to get various people to come on with us. Um, and that's where you came on when we were talking
1: brotherhood. So it's, uh, it was a lot of fun. In fact, I, I, one of the things I loved about Nicole was her hatred of, of dad puns. And I'm like, Oh, poor Nicole is in for it.
0: (laughs) Nicole's been, uh, Nicole has been on the show nonstop, um, for over a year now. And so she's gotten quite used to me. And um, she, she is a lot of fun. I, I enjoy uh, I enjoy having her on the show and uh, we, we have a, we have a lot of fun together so I recommend anyone to come tr- check us out. We're generally weekly unless we're not
1: <laughs> right like, like this one we're generally monthly until we're not. Um, you, you know and if you've been listening, you've been probably wondering why hasn't there been any episodes there's been a lot going on. Um, you know like Jim said with his co-host, you know, family comes first a lot. Uh, my son just recently got his Eagle Scout uh, rank. Yay! As an Eagle Scout myself, I uh, I applaud him. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, and he he didn't wait to the last minute, but he kind of did because like there's a, a a weekly or a monthly meeting where the council gets together to approve the things, and he waited to the last minute to get his approval in. So he still had two weeks before his birthday, but it was like, dude, if you don't get this in by tonight you're not going to get it like <laughs> so, so
0: when i turned in my paperwork for my eagle it was on my 18th birthday the offices closed at 5 p.m i'd never been to the offices i couldn't find them i walked in oh, at 4 no. 57 um on my 18th <sighs> birthday to turn in the paperwork for my eagle scout. So that's a, I I was literally the skin of my teeth on that one.
1: Now, did your troop have kind of a history of that? Because my troop unfortunately does. Like they're almost every one of them was last minute. And, And what drove me nuts with my son is he has sat on life scout rank from age 14. He had four years. I'm like, dude, if you don't hit this. You realize that this goes from being like a bragging right to like, dude, you had the longest amount of time and didn't make it, but he did. But I was panicking all the way up, like I was riding his butt, like you got to get this done, you got to get this done, you got to get this done. Oh man, I was so nervous about the whole process. And we're now I'm I'm planning his court of honor. Uh, we're about to go to summer camp, the rest of the troop, because now he's out. Like it's, it's crushing me. Like I'm doing all this scout stuff without my boy. My nephew's in the troop, so I'm you know it's still a family thing. And in fact. The rest of my troop, because we're going in August, they can't go to summer camp. So it's literally me, my charter organization rep, and my nephew. And my charter organization rep is my dad. So it's a family <laughs> trip.
0: <laughs> no, um, yeah, my, my troop my troop was very big. Um, very, it, okay. it was very big. And so we had quite a few get to life, but I feel like we didn't have terribly many actually – like I guess – in the overall scheme of things, compared to a lot of troops, we had a lot more eagles than, because we had a lot more people. But on general, mm. um, I feel like most people weren't waiting till the last second. My problem was I had my project done, but I was missing some of the badges I needed. And so those were what was keeping me oh. um, from finishing. And so I, I was rushing on the badges, and that's a, those were the last-minute things. But this is okay. over 20 years ago, so... Uh, right
1: stretching my memory here
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah that's i mean it's it's definitely one of the cool things for him like because now he's out applying for jobs and stuff and i'm like don't forget to put down another because like uh he just did one for uh, master brand cabinets and one of the things he'd put in there was you know i don't have a lot of work history but that's because i've been working on this for the last 12 years so like oh, you know that's kind of a good way to put it
0: i i, I tried doing that too
1: yeah, it's it's smart. I mean, he went to NYLT. I've been working. I've been working on my Eagle Scout for the
0: last twenty years. That's why my work history is. Uh, I yes, I am well aware. I'm over forty. Please, uh, please take into consideration.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I mean, there's been that stuff going on. Um, you know, a lot of stuff with the family. We had uh, my brother-in-law passed away right in May. That. I mean, it was literally like one hiccup after another with the editing and stuff. And, you know, you're like, family comes first. That's and what I, 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 you know, for the first time I listened to Jim, I was like, all right, I'm going to set this off to the side. And I felt really bad. because, I, like every time I'd want to come near it, I was just like, not. That's what I flat out told it. you.
0: It does not matter to me. You take the time you need. I'll still right. be here when, you, when you're when you ready to come back. So it's a, I, I was fully supporting you for whatever you needed to do i wasn 't supporting you by doing the editing um, because you do <laughs> you 're much more meticulous than I am um, but uh yeah that 's a uh, whatever however long you needed to take i 'm here for you so that right
1: yeah, so hopefully uh, you 'll be hearing this episode a lot sooner than the last one uh, you know, I do apologize for that, but yeah, things happened um, so with that uh, let 's get into the main discussion here. At Star Wars Beyond the Films, we ask the tough questions. Questions that have bothered you for a long time or simple ones that perplexed you off and on. You ponder about Star Wars and so do we. This episode, we ponder Dark Horse Comics Tales of the Jedi The Dark Lords of the Sith by Tom Vich and Kevin J. Anderson. Now, before we get too deep into spoiler territory, we'll give you a quick spoiler free rundown. Just be sure to jump off at Tarkin's Errors.
0: I honestly, we talked about this before the show. I was leaning toward Tom Veitch. I, but it could go either way. Um, but we did want to make note that, uh, he did, uh, recently pass away. He had actually passed away after we recorded the last episode when we did, um, the Freedom Nat Uprising, because, uh, uh, a listener had commented, like, you didn't mention that he passed away. He's like, well, he actually passed away after we recorded it, um, but before we released it. And so it was kind of in a weird, um, uh, place, but especially it kinda is um apropos is that this is his last uh work, I believe, in Star Wars because the Sith War he is not um a writer on. Uh it is just <laughs> Kevin J. Anderson. So we'd like the baton was passed. Yeah, we'd like to acknowledge that all the work that he did. He was one of the the pillars of which Legends continuity is built on. Uh, mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: and so that uh, yeah, I uh I, I, uh, I'm i not good at eulogies. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, it's one of those things, like, he's one of those prolific writers that, you know, just became, like, an authority on what he was writing. I mean, and even Kevin J. Anderson kind of did the same thing, too. Uh, Karen Travis. There were just certain authors, uh, Stephen, uh, Timothy Zahn, uh, when you get these you know, story arcs and stuff to become these long reaching and they're kind of drawing back to certain characters and names of other characters from other stories and stuff. And Tom was really good about that. And and he definitely created some of the stories that really impacted a lot of people when it came to the dark side. Like he was definitely one of the ones that gave us some really good dark side stories from, you know, Dark Empire to, you know, Tales of the Jedi. And I just, some of my favorite stories when it comes to the grittiness and stuff were stories that he had a hand in writing the script.
0: Yeah. He passed on February 14th of this year at the age of 80.
1: Mm, He had a good run. He did have a
0: good run. Yeah. And like, like you're saying, he was um, instrumental. I feel like it it was because of him that we got so much lore that we get in the early Mm -hmm. days, because um, as we talked about previous um, episodes of the tales of the Jedi, There is text. There is so much text. There is text that is not in the comic issues that he just wrote. Um, And then the comic issues were kind of based on some of that. And then there's text like I'm going to mention even in this, um, the Dark Lords of the Sith. It takes a long time to get through because there's so much reading. He writes so Mm -hmm. much, but he adds so much to the,
1: the lore because there was nothing at the time. Right. And I think that's one of the beautiful things about it. It's like you jump into the story, you jump into the story and it automatically feels like you're in the middle of, you know, the bigger saga. And then they went back in and filled in some of those details. So like, if you didn't know, it would have just felt like it was always written after these other stories, but his came first. And I think that's one of the cooler things.
0: Yeah. I was actually um, curious because we had talked uh, about release dates and, everything before about how the tales of the jedi series was released out of order um mm-hmm. because they did the golden age of the sith and the fall of the sith empire uh after a bunch of the other comics and i'm reading dark lords of the sith here and they're talking about all the stuff that we learn about in the golden age about um uh not no uh what's this? I-
1: Nagasato. Nagasato, yeah. Uh, freedom Nod. Yeah,
0: and so we're learning about all that stuff about um, Nagasato, and I'm like, did this. Was this released after? I had to double check, and I'm like, no, no, this was released before Golden Age of the Sith. And so, like, we get so much information about this guy that really we didn't, didn't hear about at all before this comic, and also, like, he is a pivotal. Um, part of Star Wars lore all of a sudden. And then the later mm-hmm. comics jump back in time and we learn all about him. So I I, uh, I found it really fascinating about how um, just all the stuff he built into the, the Star Wars comic series that eventually get blown up, um, mm-hmm. probably even like today. Like, we still have a lot of his stuff. Even in canon, they're slowly pulling... Bits and pieces in as we as they go.
1: Oh yeah, I, and it was funny too because like as I'm rereading this, I I mean I've known the fact that I discovered again in this for a long time, but during the story I didn't realize that the division of the Sith was so pronounced in the writing. Um, and what I mean by that is it even talks about how the Dark Lords of the Sith were basically Dark Jedi who came and you know, overruled the Sith people, but he even talks about how they were exterminating the Sith people. So there was a division amongst what we know of the Sith between the Sith species hating the dark Jedi who were the dark Lords. And then as the story progresses, that becomes pivotal to the spirit of Naga Sado and what he does and doesn't want have happen. And then the, the key of the rest of the Sith Lords is they're like, giving permission to the main characters of this story to take over and the whole schism of what that meant for the Sith as a name and as an order versus what it meant for the species. And like, I've always known about that as a, as the overall of the era, but I never caught that that was being dropped in this story the way it was until I was reading it this time. And I was just like, how did I miss that all these times? Cause I, I, you know, as I was rereading this, this last time, I'm like, did I, some of this felt like almost like I've seen movies or cartoon clips of it. Like I've, I've read this so many times and I'm like, you know, did I see this somewhere else? But it's just in this and it comes across so well that in my memory, I think back on it and I'm like, I, I feel like I've seen this in multiple formats. Like it could easily be adapted into a film series uh, or a TV Disney plus series easily. Um, you know, cause we, that's one of the things, you know, we talk about how accessible is it, uh, you know, how was the art? Could it be adopted into canon? This is a story, I think, not only could it be adopted into canon, as we get to later, I think it should. Like, this story is just, it's got so much to it, and, and the way that it deals and addresses with the Sith species, and when they no longer were the Sith species, and how the Sith, as an order, came to be. And that's still something in canon, we're not even really kind of going that direction. I don't think anything yet has established in canon that the Sith are a species. As of right now, they're just a offshoot of the Jedi Order that's more leaning towards the dark. But the way that, that Legends dealt with the concept of the Sith being a species and how it evolved into that, and the fact that this was the first one and then he was already laying those seeds from the beginning, just shows you how brilliant of a writer he is.
0: Yeah. So as uh, as you kind of alluded to... um, Dark Lords of the Sith is obviously the next chronologically, hence the reason we're covering it after the Freedom Nat Uprising, uh, in the Tales of the Jedi series. It was released October 1st, 1994 through March 14th, 1995. And it was six issues long, which is up until this point, the longest of the um, series that we've seen. And man, I felt it. I I wasn't expecting uh, mm-hmm. that long a read. Uh but it was released immediately after the FreedNet Uprising. And um follow this we have the Sith War, which is another six episode six issue series. And then after that is when the Golden Age of the Sith was released. So uh we still have uh quite a bit of time that they're still doing all the, the backstory on. Uh timeline um Timeline wise, it takes place Three thousand nine hundred ninety-seven years before uh, A New Hope, or the the Battle of Yavin,
1: Bby, which
0: is supposedly one year after the Friedenad Uprising. But as uh, we've said before, the timelines are a little iffy because they give months and days in within the story, and then they're kind of like, yeah, whatever. Um, but I, I, I found it funny is uh, on Wikipedia, it's like a chronological note. They're like in the story, the dark horse had um, indicated that it took place like three thousand nine hundred and ninety two or something like that years before um, the Battle of the Avid. And I'm like, that's literally impossible because in the story they say <laughs> it's been like six months or it's been right. months like they flat out said it's been months in the story itself. So I don't know if they fixed it because at the beginning of the story, they say exactly where it takes place, especially in the omnibus. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, we're looking, um, supposedly a year, probably six months to a year after
1: the FreedNet uprising,
0: but definitely some time has passed.
1: Mm Mm-hmm that's the one downside about reading it in the omnibus you know if you're reading it in issues you get that little you know opening crawl like blurb six times kind of retelling you what's going on adding maybe a little bit of depth but if you have the omnibus you only have the one and, and
0: even then you can kind of guess even then the one i think is an edited one like you don't get the like right. the individual issue ones you're right they were like fantastic um compared to what you get in the omnibus
1: I almost wish they would put them in, either just leave them in, so you know where you're going from one to the other, because he, it is pretty obvious when you're reading when all of a sudden they start re things all over yes, again. Yes, you're like, okay, I clearly I'm in a new issue. I
0: found the next issue. So-and-so uh, has left the Jedi Temple. It's like, yeah, it's literally on the page facing this one. I can see it. Like, right. you don't need to <laughs> describe what was, oh, this is probably a new issue.
1: <laughs> right. And I, I definitely, like, I go back and forth on that. Like I'm like, I like the fact that I don't have to stop, you know, in the middle of the story and recognize it. But, I mean, I am anyway. I, mean, I, I automatically know that we switched. Uh, so, it takes my brain out of it no matter what. So, maybe slip those in. Dark Horse or Marvel or whoever is doing it now that Disney owns it.
0: <laughs> I wonder. I don't think they have, probably. They probably, like, I obviously I still have the Dark Horse omnibus. And I think that's what you have as well. Yeah. And yeah. Um, I would assume that Marvel has a tendency to not change things they're like why change things when we can just change the cover and keep everything right? on They're the like inside. lucas
1: is gone we don't have to keep messing with the same thing over and over again. yeah <laughs>
0: it's like literally just put a new cover on it and it is the same omnibus
1: right I, so was it any good i i think wholeheartedly yes uh it was a really good story um was it accessible for me i say yes and no I I don't think it's critical to know the backgrounds, uh, but I think it certainly adds a lot more depth to the whole tale. And if you stop and you think about that, this was, you know, put out there first (laughs) and the way it works, I I think Tom did a great job of pulling a Lucas, you know, here I'm going to, I'm going to give you the middle of the story and then we're going to fill it in around that. And, you know, now 30 plus 40 plus years later, looking back on it and it's just like, Wow. You know, I mean, there was so much foreshadowing, so much, uh, you know, direction, both forward and backward, that we were getting tidbits of things that would come later and things that had came already that hadn't at the time it was being wrote. So I, I just think that that was just a brilliant thing. And the fact that it was wrote that way makes me fall into the category. Yeah, it's totally accessible. I mean, it was it was designed to be that way and feeling like you're missing out on those details. Well, at the time it came out, those details weren't there. So, I mean, you could certainly get a lot more depth out of this tale by going and reading it in a chronological order, but I don't think you had to.
0: Yeah, like I would say, if you think of it in the way it was released, uh, where you had the Ulaquil Joma and the Beast Wars of Onderon, the Saga of Noma, Nomi Sunrider, those two series, and then the Freedom Nat Uprising. So that is a total of seven comics that have come out before this one was released. Of those seven Mm -hmm. comics, three are the Saga of Nomi Sunrider that play almost no role whatsoever in this. Um, Right. Even Ula Kel and the Beast Wars of Onderon, that's probably the most important here, but it barely comes into the story. Uh, The Nat Uprising is the most important, and even then, it's not much i would say the most important characters in that story are um the cousins alima and um satal yeah the um those cousins which were we even mentioned it in the freedom Net uprising they pop up at the end and you're like where are these people coming in why are they here well Right. We find out like they are major, major players in here. I feel like they were just shoved into the Freedom At Uprising, whereas here they are like the story. Um mm-hmm. and they get a pretty good background here. So you don't even need what you get. Like all you get from that previous one is what they they even mentioned in this where why they were in the last story is the um they grabbed a book and here they're master wizards. Um Mm -hmm. you don't need to know that they grabbed the book to know like just what read the story uh and they nagasado was not in any of the previous stories so it's um it it is totally accessible they designed this so that like this is the first issue that you need to jump in on don't care about those other seven like they're kind of building your base Mm -hmm. but you don't need the base
1: yeah it's, it's it's really cool in the way that they go about it too, because like, you know, the craft, I think a lot of people have heard of the craft to a degree, but they didn't realize that that was the two cousins that kind of started it, you know? And, and this story is where that becomes more prominent where you realize, Oh, okay. So they're the craft. You know, I remember hearing about the craft in uh different role-playing game books and stuff. Wizards of the coast and stuff would have stuff about them. And I was like, that was the first time I'd, I'd read about them. And I was like, Oh, there are books set in the past. you know. And then I started hunting down the books and stuff. Because I came into the comics and stuff, probably 2001, I started going back and buying the older comics. Because comic-wise, I was only a Spider-Man fan at that point.
0: Uh, I'm actually very similar. I didn't even know there were comics. I came in, read the books, um, and then uh, I stopped reading the books for a while in the 90s, just because time and teenager-ish. Um, then right before I went away to college, I had started reading the books again and, um, mm-hmm. or actually in, when I was in college, I had started reading the books again. So early two thousands after that point, it was literally the Luke went dark. Yep. That you're yep. sitting there. If you just read the books, you're like, they keep referencing this. This couldn't have been, yeah. cause I thought it was George Lucas's sequel trilogy. And that they were mm. referencing back to if he ever made that. And I realized, and I'm like, no, that can't be right. This scene, because they keep referencing it. This has to actually reference something. And that's what I found mm-hmm. out was unlike um, when we were growing up, the internet wasn't as prevalent. Like, you just didn't know about this stuff. And so we, I, I went looking, and I'm like, there's comics. There's a lot of comics. And so that's where I just started um picking picking up from there so probably around 2003 2004 is when I started to buy all the comics and uh collect, collect all of them and that's where I, where I came in on this one.
1: Yeah, that's that's funny. Mine mine echoes you 100% because it was that Luke and Dark Empire where I was like, "Where did he go to the Where did he kneel before the emperor and say my father's destiny is my own?" like and and it was Tom and then I found that and was like wait, there's more like there's old Sith stuff. And then when I started to learn more about the Sith, that's when I got so intrigued. I mean, I mean, still to this day, as the new Disney canon is progressing, I'm like, you know, what's the evolution of the Sith going to look like? You know, I mean, it was so convoluted in this time frame, And then again, as I, as I mentioned, you know, reading the story and realizing that that division between the pure blood Sith and the dark Jedi that were overruling them, like, I always knew about that division, but I didn't realize until I was rereading it just this last time that those dark lords were trying to exterminate the Sith on top of it all. I always just assumed, like, they were there to rule over him and stuff. I didn't realize that there was actually, you know, more to it, that there was a genocide happening in the midst of it all. I was like, oh, yeah, that would definitely leave Shadow to not want to have them uh, take over his stuff. <laughs> now, as for the art... I would say the art is very reminiscent to the early uh, Dark Horse era. Everything has a, a grittiness to the art style. Um, we do have moments where Nami Sunrider's hair does the little morphing line uh, where we go from the two different artists that we've seen in the last couple issues of the series. Um, but I, I feel like the grittiness of the art style works with the ships, the ancient Sith locations. It gives them all this feeling of being super old. Um and it's, it's also a feeling like, I I don't know if that would transfer over well to a live action of the styling of the ships, per se. Location-wise, I think it'd be easy to do something like that. But if you were to do a Disney Plus live action show, I don't know what those ships would look like. I mean, they, they would probably look like they're about to fall apart. Like, almost like the Niles ships.
0: So, like, flipping through the art, um, it's, you're right, it's definitely, like, early 90s style uh, even just flipping forward into the the Sith war I like the Sith War like they definitely got a lot more crisp with their their art style but here it's not bad I think if they were to do a mm-hmm. Disney plus show um, animated would be a hundred percent the way I would prefer it uh because even even if they don't keep the style I do like the I do like the art style in this I think it's a uh, um it kind of continues how the free Ned art style was, and uh, generally good. Like it's not like the nineteen eighties art style that we kind mm. of started the series with. It, we definitely progressed to a better art style, right? Um, as they've gotten probably more money to do the. Uh, to do it and more, more time and more money to get, give us a better product instead of a, eh, you can play, uh, play around with your comics in the early runs.
1: <laughs> I like that the overall story of the tales of the Jedi focuses on Nomi Sunrider to a degree. Ulick is definitely at the heart of it. Um, you know, cause the later arcs we get one that's redemption. That's really his redemption from what this path he is on is going to send his character down. Um, he's going down the Darth Vader trail, basically, of his own. Uh, and, you know, I mean, the title gives that away. Dark Lords. There's there's an S there. You know, not just one. There's two of them. And I, that was always intriguing. But now when I'm going back over it, and I'm thinking about the aspect of that division between the ancient Sith and the other Sith, like, it's, it's a little more on the nose than ever before.
0: <laughs> I found it... Um, interesting. I guess I, I should wait until we get to the spoiler section to just discuss uh, the more about the story.
1: Okay, well, we're actually pretty close to there. Unless there's anything else you wanted to talk about about our main points, uh, well, we can jump right into spoilers.
0: No, I think I'm, I'm pretty good for right here.
1: All right. We've analyzed their attack, sir, and there are spoilers. Should
0: I have your ship standing by? Evacuate? In our moment of trials. I think you overestimate their
1: chances. So consider that your spoiler warning, Beyonders and Sentions of All Ages, because here we go on another adventure beyond the films.
0: Yeah, so generally we get, like you had mentioned, we get Ulic as really the pivotal character in this entire series. Uh, He is the pivotal, he was the pivotal character except for the the brief three-issue Nomi Sunrider arc, and she is... Kind mm-hmm. of, she's more of the um, not damsel in distress because she's definitely not um, into distress, she's uh, she's trying to help out, but they kind of sidelined her like right. really hardcore on this one. Uh, because you get Ulick and you get a new character, uh, who I did have to look up because I'm like, did we have him before this? And I'm pretty sure this is his first appearance in the Tales of the Jedi series and that's um oh why is his name escaping Exar Xarcoon X, X uh, yeah X Xarcoon um he this is when he first shows up and he shows up as kind of a uh I'm thinking like a Highlander type <laughs> uh um yeah. character like he he's dark and mysterious and he kind of he likes the Sith artifacts a little too much sort of guy and um, it's like,
1: ooh, he's gonna be one to watch out for, and he's kind of on the dick side of things. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like I, mean, I, I can't really think of like a, a modern example, but he definitely shirks what we would later come to see as traditional Jedi values. <laughs> like, there's yeah. a scene where he's fighting with two of the Cathars, and like. He ends up getting into it and gets clawed in the face, which adds to the grittiness of the character because from that point on, he's got, like, the three claws down his his cheek scar, which always kind of gives him a gritty look. But the way he talks to his master, uh, the way he talks to his fellow Jedi that are around him, like, there is an arrogance to him as well as, like I said, a a dickishness.
0: (laughs) Well, I like, um, like, later in the story, he basically leaves like he he leaves his master in order to go looking for Sith artifacts and mm-hmm. that's where he kind of crosses um the other our, our our other main group of uh Ulic and um k skywalker and all them and <laughs> he's like telling them it's like i'm an archaeologist i'm like here on uh not the empress Tita system the the one from uh, be Onderon, that's it. Yeah. Uh, he's on Onderon and he's like, I'm here looking for all these sick artifacts because I'm a Jedi archaeologist. I and love that. And the master that. just looks at him and goes, No, you're not <laughs> 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 You're clearly lying. Um That's cool. Like <laughs> like they don't literally don't do anything about it. They just going to tell him like, Yeah, you need to kinda go away now. Like <laughs> this isn't for you.
1: Yeah, I also like how the story started with him with holocrons. Like you don't realize it at first, but he's the one getting the backstory of what's been going on in the other stories that we haven't been told yet.
0: Oh, I don't even think I caught that.
1: Yeah, yeah, because like I, when he's like, it literally starts. And uh, the the Holocron gatekeeper for Vodobosk is the one doing all the talking and it's talking about and setting stuff up. And then while he's looking at that, his master comes in and he's like, he's all under on my son. And why is the fate of a renegade Jedi of such interest to my greatest student? And, he, you know, then he's like tells him to turn it off. <laughs> it's like and he shuts down the Holocron and then he starts going into more detail. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I mean, Kuhn had a, a fixation on more power and stuff, like, right out the gate. I was so confused
0: with how this started. That's why I actually looked up what came out when, because mm-hmm. it starts off with Naga Serao, and you're reading it, you're like, did I miss something here? Because, like, it, it, where did the, like, this doesn't seem to flow from the previous story. It, like, literally jumps into Naga Serao, and you're like... I'm in the middle of something and I'm not quite sure what's going on, but it was like written that way. Yeah. And, it, and it's it, like, by the time you get like four or five pages in, you're right. You get to the end of the Holocron entry, what you were just saying. And it makes all the more sense. But like up
1: until then, I'm like, what? Yeah. Cause I mean, it, it starts and he's talking about when Nagasado is, is leaving and, and he sets the two stars to collapse on the, uh, the fleet that's chasing him as he escapes.
0: and it's, Which is in the fall of the Sith Empire. Mm-hmm. And that's what, that's what I'm trying to figure out. Like, when was this released?
1: Yeah. And why are we going into it here? <laughs> like, this is
0: so weird.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and, and as his the gatekeeper's talking, he's like, the Onderon system became, for several centuries, the focus of dark side powers. And then his master's like, turn it off. You've heard enough. But master... This hidden knowledge is meant for Jedi masters. I wish you would concentrate on the things I chose to teach you. And and I feel like for his master, that's like the key of who Exar Kun is. It's like, he's my greatest student, but he keeps getting focused on dark side things and he's not paying attention to what I want him to learn. And it's like, if he could have just curbed that aspect of Exar Kun, we'd avoided all of this. But unfortunately, that is a character flaw that works in the favor of the Sith later.
0: <laughs> yeah, like throughout this story, he's kind of bouncing around it. He does actually really play the archaeologist role. Despite him completely making it up, he
1: really does. Uh, I, I, because- mean, I thought that too, like, like with him making it up, I was excited. I'm like, I thought that it wasn't a made up thing at first. I was like, dude, that's cool. We got Jedi archaeologists. But to a degree, I mean, that's basically what every Jedi librarian really is. I mean, they're holding on to the artifacts and stuff like that, examining them, cataloging them. So, I mean, him, he's just more on the dark side of things.
0: Yeah, like he goes to Onderon. From Onderon, he learns about Freed and Ned. So he goes to Freed and Ned's tomb. From Freed and Ned's tomb, he learns from Freed and Ned. Uh, Freed and Ned's like, okay, I'll take you on as a student. You need to go to. Do we even learn where he went? Like, what was the name? Because it seems like that's one of the um, ancient Sith the like Corban or something like that. I don't think. Yeah, but I,
1: he tells him to go to the final resting place,
0: but I don't think we and got it's, a name for it.
1: It's interesting too, because there are times that the way they word things, that there's a, a last known planet that the Sith were on. And then there's the last resting place of the Sith. And that's one of the things like, as this is being read, you know, we, we were thinking Corban was like the main core homeworld. Then we find out there was, there was Zyost uh, there was like two other planets, too, that they slipped in there that the Sith had lived on. And then we find out Korriban wasn't the one that we thought it was. It was basically their graveyard world where they interned the Dark Lords of the Sith and stuff. But the other theme that came up in this that I absolutely love is the fact that we get dark side ghosts. I mean, they, they're, they're even mentioned. Yes. They're called dark side ghosts at one point. They're called spirits. It is Korriban.
0: Uh, they did They did name it. I just found it here. So. Yeah. Sorry.
1: And and so we see eventually as this goes along with the whole dark side ghost aspect, the dark side ghosts can be destroyed. So it's like a second life, which made me stop and think, like, you know, could the Jedi spirits be destroyed like that, too? But we knew that they the dark side
0: spirits could be destroyed even before this came out because we had the Jedi Academy trilogy. Right. Where we get, I think Xarcoon. Yep, yep. Um, and that's where he originally uh was found, uh, like started. Like Droma and Xarcoon kind of were mentioned in those, and that's where why we have these. Um, but they weren't mentioned together. Yeah. And so that's a, by putting them both in here, they you kind of like merge the two stories. But uh, we knew Xarcoon, um, his force spirit could be destroyed. Um, Marco Rag- Marco Rag- Ra- Marco Ragnos or however
1: you say it Marco Ragnus I,
0: Yeah I think he was also in one of those early stories and he was um like early like novels and destroyed from there too
1: Uh he was in the game um what's uh, that uh, Ka- Yeah Kyle Katarn uh, Cart- 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 never gets his I get the A's wrong Kyle ends up uh destroying him eventually and I think it was in Jedi Knight 2 or Jedi Academy I think it might have been Jedi Academy uh, he was the main boss he had to destroy at least I think it was that one. It was one of those games I just I remember playing the the uh playing Marco and how long it took me to defeat him
0: <laughs> All
1: right, so yeah, so Xarkun goes
0: to Korriban. um and from there kind of tracks down where Naga Sadao went, and um, Freedom Ed kind of again. Guides him along to uh, Yavin 4. And mm-hmm. so we get to Yavin 4 where um, Xarkun Kun is now learning from uh, Naga Sadao. I don't, I don't, not from Naga Sadao because Naga Sadao, I think Xarkun killed his spirit, right?
1: He, Yeah, so that's that's where the, the schism came because Naga Sadao did not want to teach him because he saw the, him as you know one of the Dark Lords, the ones that were out there exterminating his pure blood type, he definitely saw it as I'm not going to allow these guys to take my knowledge. And Coon is just like a tough, phew, bam, <laughs> fries him basically. And, and that's that was what I thought was interesting is like you know you mentioned we we'd had Dark Lord uh, Dark spirits before, but they were always possessed of something, right? Whereas Freedom Nadd, yes. he's He's not really like
0: he's just chilling out there. Yeah, like he's he goes, going
1: all over the place. He beats uh to locations and stuff. You're just I, like, I,
0: I love XR Kun's like he beat me to Yavin 4. It's like <laughs> really, dude, like you're kind of surprised. Force Ghost um beat you. It's like, right? I, I, he's like, I he's not traveling in a starship, <laughs>
1: <laughs> right? Right. Uh, there, I mean, there was so much going on too with that because you know, the 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 craft at this point. They, you know, they're tapping into a strata of dark magic. So, you know, their corruption has been growing. Um, and, and he even talks about how the power they're using is warping their brain and making them puppets to the dark side power. Uh, so I, I I thought that was funny, too, because, like, as Ulick's story goes along, he's like, I'm going to go in and I'm going to infiltrate them and I'm going to find out their secrets and we're going to take the dark side out from within. But he doesn't know that the power that they're tapping into is taking control of those tapping into it. Not only are they getting stronger, it's getting stronger and it's basically making them into puppets, uh, which even though the narration talks about it like that, I never really got the feeling that the, the people were puppets to that spirit per se, more puppets to the power that has corrupted them. But I thought that was interesting the way that it was worded in that regard.
0: Yes. uh, Yeah, definitely. Um, so from, like, pretty much xr Kun spends the rest of the story on Yavin 4. Mm-hmm. And up until the very end, where, again, um, uh and Dad kind of pulls his strings and makes uh, xr Kun go and take care of the craft.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And, well, and uh, what's
1: cool, too, about the way... Uh, nad's doing things when he takes him to korriban it was a trap in a sense because when he got him into that one tomb the spirit caused everything to crush Kuhn. and there was a great scene when that happened where you know he's laying there and he's calling out to master Vodo. you know he's trying to use the light side and nad's like the only way out of here is you have to accept it and when he accepts it and, and it's a scene that they mirror in the prequel trilogy, when Anakin turns, where all the other Jedi feel what's going on in the force, but his master knows exactly what's happening. And his master's like, the dark side has finally came and got you. And it was just like, oh, damn. And as Kuhn continues through the story, and even Yulik, like the two of them, like their training teaches them to go to the light side. But once they've accepted their dark path, and they talk about that a couple times, and, there's, and I'll go into that in more detail later... But the dark path starts shifting them down that direction, and it's just it's it's interesting to watch. They continue to fight it, you know. Like they, they they try to use the light, but because they've already started on the dark path, they're now severed from the light, and they can't use those powers. And they have to figure out how to use their rage and their anger. And it just if you know you feel the trap of the dark side in that regard and how it's playing out for these Jedi. And I think that the way that that's written is really cool. Yeah, the um,
0: I, f- I found it really interesting. Like you're right, XR Kun gets crushed, and he has to use the dark side to heal himself, which is kind of counterintuitive when you kind of think about it. Like healing is not a dark side power, but you, in this instance, I guess it is. Um, and so you get the. Uh, he has to Im- fully embrace the dark side, and he's like, I don't want to fully embrace the dark side. Meanwhile, Exar Kun, from every page before this, was like, I'm going
1: dark side. <laughs>
0: it's like, I don't want to be a dark side guy. <laughs> <laughs> right?
1: When he shows up on Onderon, one of the other things I thought was cool was that the Jedi on Onderon, it says... uh it's more than a month since Master Arca dispatched Ulik Qualdrama and Nomi Sunrider to organize the joint Jedi and Republic effort to restore peace to the Empress Teta system. Meanwhile, an otter on an ancient derelict starship is being converted into a Jedi outpost. Which sounds cool, ship looks cool, except for this next line It is the very ship that brought Freeda Nad to the planet centuries before. You're making your Jedi outpost in a ship that was a fallen Jedi's? OK, this isn't going to end well, but I mean, it's just a really cool page, like kind of reminds me of the way they made Jeddah look, uh, you know, that you see these big Jedi statues. The ship has statues on it. Like it just it looks really cool. Um, I kind of almost wish when they did the Halcyon, they'd have done something like this with it, where they put the statues on the outside, because I don't, you just don't see ships like that.
0: You don't have enough ships with ornamentation on the front.
1: <laughs> it's right? it's
0: like the pirate ships with like the 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 mermaids sticking out the the front of the bow.
1: Or Serenity with Shepherd Book. <laughs>
0: yeah. So, while Xarkun is kind of doing his own thing, we have Ulik Queldroma who has decided that he needs to investigate the craft and in order to do that, he needs to go um pretend, pretend. I'm gonna pretend to be a dark side user and get caught by them nothing can go
1: wrong with this plan i assure you Oh, and you know the thing about that scene and i wrote it down too is like this is at a a convergence of all the jedi save exar Kun. he's the only jedi not at this thing and they're all telling him this is a horrible idea they're all saying this is going to end what in, in just darkness and yet and like, it's like, dude, you've got masters, other knights, everybody's on the same page here. And yet you're still like, nah, I got this, bro.
0: Uh, what? You you I I can handle myself. You just watch out for your own uh light sidedness there, buddy. <laughs> Do you know who I am? <laughs> he needs to say that more, actually. Right? I think it-
1: <laughs> I'm the hero of Onderon. <laughs>
0: I'm the most powerful Jedi ever. So he goes in, um, and immediately the craft go, yeah, about that. Let's uh, give you some dark side poison, which um, is going to have some negative effects on you.
1: And, you know, they've been alluding to that off and on with Ulick for a while, because like even at this point when he goes to the uh, Jedi massing he'd already been hit by a chunk of one of the ships and Nami actually calls him out on it she goes your wound why isn't it healed you look and he goes it's not a natural injury Nami I'm sure we were bombarded with Sith magic when the chaos fighter hit the command deck because he took a piece of shrapnel and it's in the same spot that later uh Satalkito stabs him with some Sith poison so it's like this one almost like the opposite side of his appendix is on is like, it's almost like Darkness has got, yeah it's like Darkness has already infected him, and it might be what's causing him to think that this is a good idea, even though it's not really strongly alluded to, it's kind of hinted at
0: Yeah, so he infiltrates into the craft and basically kind of works his way into Alima's um, I don't know. I'm halfway through. Trust? Where <laughs> she's like by the end of this, she's like, "Yeah, I completely okay. 100% knew the entire time what you were trying to do." No, go. It didn't work. I was planning for it. But good on you for trying to infiltrate. Like that that was that was well well attempted. <laughs> good on
1: you, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs>
0: And then S- Satel's like the whole time he's like, "Yeah, I'm gonna need to take you out," and it, it's like that. That was basically the entire pl- his plot was trying not to be taken out while trying to take out the um the the cousin and uh, get, get getting it, getting it on with Alima.
1: <laughs> One of the art choices that I thought was interesting was. When he goes, and, and he, I mean, Exar Kun, when he's on Korriban and he gets crushed and he finally accepts the healing and stuff that you were talking about, his forehead is smoking red. And I thought like at that moment we might get the Sith emblem on his forehead, but no, that's like five, chap- five chapters later we finally get that and it was like what the, why, why draw attention to the burning on his forehead like it's just an interesting art choice in that moment
0: that's you I thought the same thing because he's like screaming about it too but we never like see like they kind of when they we the, the on the bottom of that page his forehead's kind of whited out so it's like it like mm-hmm. fades fades out so if there is anything we wouldn't be able to see it anyway and then right by the next time we see him, there's nothing there. Like, why did we even get that? Was it foreshadowing or wh- what were we going with that?
1: Right. And, and also before that scene with all the Jedi coming together, master Arca gets stabbed in the back by one of the crafts assassin droids, which is also one of the driving factors for Ulic. Uh He gets that Anakin Skywalker. My mom died. If I was just more powerful, I could have stopped. So that, also is kind of driving his motivation, not just revenge, but the idea that he needs to be more powerful to stop something like that from happening. He wasn't Jedi enough. Um, well, even he, though Nami and Heather are like, no, you're good. But he's
0: also the one who distracted Master Erica so that he did end up getting stabbed. And killed. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. like, it's one of those, I think it, it was a totally like a guilt, guilt-driven uh, motive there. It's like, Clearly, you killed him. It couldn't have been me who distracted the guy in the middle of a battle um
1: <laughs> yep it it's a great scene too because like they they do a, the panel where they've got Ulik on one side and Kuhn on the other. And it's uh, on a, on Deneba, amidst the carnage of battle, a great Jedi master passes to the nameless realm of his ancestors. And Ulick's holding on to the robe, and he's crying. Like, I want to say that they've used that in posters and maybe even other covers at one point. Meanwhile, you've got uh, Kuhn as he's just coming up from being broken. And this is across the galaxy on Korriba, and a broken Jedi receives life. I just, I really like that scene and the art and that really kind of, Captures what we're getting in this story, you know, the tragedy of these two Jedi and where it pushes them.
0: I, yeah, like it's cool. I, 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 the more I think about it, the more I really like this art style. I'm gonna like, um, show you the one image I really like. It's where we first see XR coon and he's training, mm-hmm. um, and he's kind of holding the the one, his hand with the one lightsaber in front of his face and, like, the other one back. That's, kind of, that's what gives me, like, the Highlander vibe, like, right next to it, too. Right. Uh, right. And I'm like, yeah, this is, like, this is fun. Mm-hmm. But it's also really gruesome, the, 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 at least this first issue, when we're seeing all the, the dark side magic by the craft. Um, you have the tongues that get mm-hmm. turned into serpents, you have a guy one of the servants has his mouth sewn shut.
1: It's the same guy, no it's the same. so he was, oh, was their, the same uh, guy, yeah, he's like their babysitter slash teacher and so, as Alima is practicing her sith magic. That's one of the things she replaces his tongue with the worm. And then later they stitch it up and they're like, you want us to put the worm back in? You're like, oh, and then they uh, they vaporize him basically later. (laughs) Like, oh, man. And she's just slowly getting more and more powerful as it goes along. And as she gets more powerful, you start to also notice like Kito is kind of like he's using her more, but he's also starting to trust her less. And it really ramps up once Eulix shows up.
0: Yeah, so like, we pretty much have them kind of guiding the dark sideness, even though they are not Sith. Mm-hmm. I don't even know how much Force users they really are. Like, how much is of this magic is could be considered f- the Force versus, like, like obviously it's supposed the to amulet. be amulet. Yeah, like, how, how much is in them versus them just kind of playing around with what they don't understand? Because they even say, like, most of Alima's
1: tricks are um, illusions. Right. They're, yeah, they're, a lot of her powers were, yeah, yeah. And so... But, I mean, well, I, there's a scene where, because she's got, like, this snake thing on her arm, one of the uh, eels, and one of the guys reaches for a security box... And, like, so she's touching the amulet a lot, right? And then her eye, you see this, like, green circle around her eye with some force powers coming. Like, you know, she's targeting something. But when she does it for this guy, like, uh, let's see. From the Galactic Museum on Coruscant, Satala and Alima stole a book of ancient Sith spells, a source of long-forgotten power. The book can only be used by a Sith follower. So I, I would assume that you have to be force sensitive in that regard. But then it goes on because as the guy's reaching for it, she's using the spell and it starts to morph. It says hearing the Sith were active on Onderon, they journeyed there and to unlock the secrets of the book. On Onderon, they got more than they bargained for. So they unlocked the book in a way. So at this point, when it says that, it's now turned into an actual creature. A a a metal switch has turned into a creature and now it's biting off the guy's hand. And it says they were introduced to the ways of the Sith by the dark spirit of freedom Nad himself. And then that, like I said, that becomes the issue of freedom Nad's teachings versus Naga Sido's teachings and what Naga Sido thinks of freedom, NAD and how the differences between those two Sith as they go along. And that's all just basically in the dialogue. Like i have I've I've read this story so many times and it's only this last time that I picked up on the rift in the Sith in this story. I never caught that before. Even though I knew about the rift in the Sith and stuff from older stories, I just didn't realize that it was here the whole time. Just That's absolutely
0: cool. It's, it's dense. Like I said, mm-hmm. there is a lot of reading. Like it's 6 comics long and typically like it takes me what 10 minutes to read an issue of a comic roughly. Like it took me hours to read like these six issues because it was such a dense, uh, read. I was not expecting how long it took me to get through these.
1: Right. Yeah. And and I, you know, the, the art style of Arca, like I get the feeling, like, especially when he confronts Kuhn and he's like, you're no archeologist we're not going to help you. They, they show him from the side and I get this, you know, native American chieftain vibe, you know, of the, of the noble, the nobleness in his pose and what he's talking about in that moment and the way he's drawn just just totally feels like a tribal chief. I just I love that style for the character.
0: Yeah, I 100 I, percent I agree. And then he gets taken out like a punk. <laughs> Not even by. Yeah, like, he's like. Like, you killed my master. is like, actually, my robot killed your master. Like, it wasn't even me. It Like, it would be totally different if it was him. Like, I feel like a uh, guy got um, distracted and taken out by a robot is completely different excuse. Like, I'm going to infiltrate because a robot that you turned on, like, Roomba went bad.
1: <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, honestly, as we're going back over this, like, I didn't realize how long it was before Yulik actually left to go and join the craft. Like, you know, flipping through this, we're, like, over halfway through the story by the time he finally does it. There's a lot going on with that setup.
0: Yeah, well, a lot of the, before he left, was a lot of the Exar Uh Like, he, it, the first part was a lot of Exar and then the second part was a lot of Yulik keldroma, And so yeah. you kind of, you get that... Um, division because while Xarkun is on Yavin Four, we see him working on his Sith uh magic stuff to kind of build up the Masazi warriors and build up his fleet, but we don't
1: really get more of him. Well it's interesting that, you know, he goes there and the Masai are like, oh he's the one that we've been waiting for. Meanwhile the spirit of the person that brought the Messiah there is like, no, no, not him. He's not the one.
0: <laughs> I said no.
1: <laughs> Bad. Yeah. And and that was, uh, you know, th- this is the part of the arc where we find out that there was the ship of Nagasados down buried underneath it all. And, you know, he fights the the big giant worm and kills it. And then he goes down. And not only does he find the ship, he basically finds like Shadow's treasure trove of everything you know super dark <laughs> You're like oh i just found the real vault
0: i immediately thought of the um i think it was the han solo adventures where they're looking for the the lost treasure of zim oh yeah and yeah. all the, the lost treasure turned out to be like ancient computer parts is like basically if we were to find uh like 1970s computer vacuum tubes you're like um (laughs) that that's great it's completely useless nowadays but that that's that's great uh and that's i expected that to be um like said i was like treasure room like i have all Mm -hmm. these wonderful treasures and he looks at it and goes that's a whole lot of garbage
1: right what's and it's his alchemy room too because it's like uh in a hidden chamber next to the Sith starship, Exar Kun finds a trove of equipment, the apparatus of Sith alchemy. And he starts using that, like, the first one he uses it on is the priest. Uh, and he's got him attached to this giant thing and just mutates him even more. And, I like, the the idea of Sith alchemy has always been intriguing since the, they, they first put it out there. Because, like, you know, they talk about all this magic and stuff and... You know, later Lucas starts talking about magic when you bring in the Night Sisters, and and Lucas was very clear that the magic was akin to the Force. It wasn't exactly the Force, but it definitely worked with the Force, but wasn't the Force. And it's like here you got the Sith dealing in the dark side, and yet they're openly using magic as well. And I, I like the different dimensions of the Force and the dark side. In a sense, you know, you like the magic is like it's an offshoot. They work together. They complement each other in the worst ways. <laughs> well, that's what like a,
0: a what alima's doing is a lot. It feels like a lot of magic, not mm-hmm. lifting rocks. Like it it, right. it, it feels completely different. And you, you look at it, you're like, I could see where this is all forced, but it doesn't feel the same.
1: Right. Well, and that makes sense too because they say that she's got Sith spells, so she's just doing the incantations and and creating things. Which makes sense, you know, I mean, she's doing the one, she's turning the guy's tongue into a worm, um, you know, and, and as she does each one, it definitely, the narrative talks about how she's getting more powerful. And and you see that to the point where when Yulik finally starts to step out of the shadow of the Krath and into his own, she's like, well, maybe I want to be dominated, you know? <laughs> like She is so well, twisted.
0: That's, a, that's something different. <laughs>
1: right, and, and I, I was, we were talking about this beforehand, because like, as her and his relationship grows. I kept. I immediately was like, "Jim, are you picking up sexual vibes here?" But as it goes on, it's very clear. It, you know, I, I got the the feeling of I Jedi with Koran Horn going up with uh, the la- the leader of the pirates and the things he's got to do for for uh, the love of his wife, kind of thing. And Ulic's got that nobleness of I'm going to you know take down the people that that hunted my master down and killed him. And that shifts as it goes along because, like, he kind of forgives her and puts all the blame squarely on Keto. And I was like, yeah, that's because you're thinking with your other brain.
0: Yeah. And, and all during this, Nomi kind of – this is where Nomi comes in and goes, I need to go find out what's going on. She ends up getting captured um, mm-hmm. purposely so so that she can get inside. But then, like – um you needs to help her get out and he's kind of teetering on the edge right then at, the, at that point as it is.
1: See, and there's so much that happens in that. Like when she gets dropped off, she gets dropped off in an escape pod, which was cool. But later when she calls on Kay and, and Tot to come back, like I was like, oh, where do they, and if you miss it in this moment, you don't realize she tells them, you know, wait in the system and I'll call you <laughs> just, just, just sit sit on the corner
0: I'll 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 shoot you a te- I'll shoot you a text when I'm ready to be picked up
1: right and of course you know it it, it really puts you in a pickle because she's there as his girlfriend basically <laughs> she's she's there because I love you and he's like you know I'm don't say that around my uh, mistress here I I don't I've got a good thing going and I'm almost done with my mission I, at this point, I feel like quote, he's unquote. Using his, yeah <laughs> he's using the mission as his excuse for everything that's his get out of jail free card
0: well like like clearly like they show her like laying in a bed where he's getting dressed and she's clearly naked in the bed like there's no questions he, here.
1: I'm glad you bring it up because there's another scene earlier with uh Coons' master Vodo. And the two Cathars, and it's talking about them being lovers. And he literally walks in on them while they're. T- I'm like, oh my god, they're talking about you know. She's like, well, I can't leave because he's like, we should leave and, and go back home and imagine us as Force users, like we'd be really strong. And she's like, I'm a Jedi through and through, but I'll, I'll more than happily have your pup. And then he walks in and he's like, something bad happened to Xarkun, and I'm like, they are literally doing the dirty right now and you, with the door opening. You just walked in on it. Oh my you gotta god, you got to put a sock
0: on that d- door, like. Gotta, right? Like, my word do, do you know nothing
1: and the jedi of this era like yeah there's there's less dogma for sure
0: yeah this is before the, pre- the prequels when we find out uh um jedi didn't do this sort of thing
1: this is also at the time in the book where we find out that flat out the craft have declared war on the jedi knights and i thought that was interesting too because i mean we knew that they were in conflict, but the fact that they openly declared war on the Jedi, I'm like, okay, here's another time frame when the Jedi were at war with another faction.
0: Yeah, definitely. Well, the question is, is like, how much like credence do you put into them? It's like what, those college rivalries. Like, I went to Texas Tech, and mm. we were the Red Raiders, and we were a rival. Our, our, we had a rivalry with the Texas Longhorns. Um mm-hmm. the Longhorns did not see us as a rival. They didn't even acknowledge that we existed. Like like it's one of those like how the, how how significant does anybody see them as a threat?
1: <laughs> right. Other right.
0: than Keldroma. like does anybody even like acknowledge that they can do anything?
1: Right? I I'd mentioned before about the whole dark path thing and uh I found where it was. There was this, a part where Arco is telling Ulik during the assembly not to go. Uh, And he goes, you look, my son, how many times have I said it? There's the way of the Jedi. And then there is the dark path, which only leads to destruction. And they bring that up again later too, about him being on that dark path and, and not to take it.
0: So as we get, I feel like we're getting towards the end here.
1: Yeah, it is coming quick. Yeah. The,
0: (laughs) um, XR is basically once he has everything kind of organized Friedenad warned the Kun about the craft or vice versa. Someone, I don't even remember who he warned. He warned one of them about the other one and said, "Uh watch out." And this is where Xarkun kind of went, "I need to take them out." Uh yeah. And so he ends up going to the Empress Tidus system.
1: To- that was so he takes out naga's spirit and in that moment naga's spirit traveled back to where the crafts were to warn them that coon was coming and a threat and coon felt that happen and so he is seeking out the other followers of uh nad the other nadists
0: okay yes yes okay thank you that that makes much more sense than what it was in my head <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah in fact i want to say it's it's uh He goes, Nagasado's ship was perfectly preserved. Now that I am no longer stranded on the Yavin moon, it is time to put my power to good use. It is time to reach out to these fellow students of Freedom Nad and destroy them.
0: So he pretty much goes there and hides hides behind a rock for a while. (laughs) It's like... You're this great, like powerful Sith Lord now kind of, not really. But you're like I'm just gonna sit here and wait till uh wait till my opportunity arises.
1: <laughs> yeah. Watches the battle go down. <laughs> Cause even the other Jedi are like, hey, who's that guy? And one of the Jedi's like, I know sooner or later I'm gonna learn at his feet. <laughs> you're like, oh, there's some foreshadowing <laughs> So Saddle
0: gets killed. I think didn't Ulek kill him. I think things, so. Things I was... got things got like murky real quick. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> There's so much going on towards the end of this.
1: Yeah. No, yeah, Ulik kills him. Yeah. Um they they get in a sword fight in front of Kay, in fact. Um Kay's there he goes, yes, Kay, I'm here, and this is the man who murdered Master Arka. There's only one way to deal with Arka's killer. And he's got his lightsaber ignited, and Kido pulls out a sword. Careful, Jedi, didn't your master tell you that anger is not the way? Clang, as they kind of come together, some things cannot be forgiven. Some crimes deserve the justice of hatred. Ah! Waves of anger wash over Ulick, obliterating all thought. And then a sensation he has never felt before. A fire creeping through his veins, merging with the anger that consumes him. And of course, at this point, Keto is still taunting him. The Sith poison, Jedi! The Sith poison! I've got you now! The ancient Sith were masters of alchemy. They understood how to multiply the chemistry of rage in a man's veins. It is the, the anger! The anger that ignites the Sith poison! I injected you! The day you arrived, you'll see! And Ulick slashes him in half... Never! I mean, it's like, dude, yeah. He just told you you're, you're hosed and you just basically sealed it.
0: <laughs> it's, it's fine. It's fine. Everything will be fine. He is the most powerful Jedi ever.
1: <laughs> and that's where, you know, at this point, like everything's coming to a head. They finally get into the room where Yulix at. Um, Alima's doing her spells. Naomi runs up Ulick, quick, get the War Beast. We're taking you home now. And she screams, uh, Elima screams, you're not taking anybody anywhere. Jedi woman by the Sith power. I abjure you. you may fear consume you and may the life force swivel and die. And she sends lizards towards her. And of course, Naomi's like, sees right through it. And like, I felt bad for you. in this moment, cause like, you know, he's got to like pretend to be in love with some, I don't know where he really lies in his heart. But he, like, comes between them and he puts his hand out on Naomi on and he's got Alima in his other arm. And Alima goes, Elik, help me. This woman wants to kill me. And he goes, Naomi, why are you here? Didn't I tell you to stay away? And she goes, why? Because I love you. Now come with me and leave this place. But she does come to recognize that if he won't come on his own vo- uh, free will, they they leave him behind. And they choose to leave him behind because he is not going to come. And I I feel like at this moment, this is what really kind of makes it where you would want to have read her story to kind of get the, the emotional depth from her character. If you didn't have that, she just looks like, you know, this love interest that's there. And if you do know about what's going on you realize you know she she had a, a a daughter with her husband her husband died and she finally allowed someone else to kind of come into her heart and she has fallen for Yulik and now she's watching him fall to darkness. So I mean there's that secondary tragedy that's going on that if you didn't really know about that it's alluded to in the narrative but just not as greatly.
0: They also there was one line she said they said that she reluctantly used her lightsaber which, uh, just like what you were saying, calls back to her earlier um, training where we kind of made fun of that she refused to use the lightsaber. Oh, fine, I'll use the lightsaber.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yep. And then, of course, you know, Kay comes into it, and he's like, we're going to go. And at that point, that's when he pulls out the amulet. And he's like, I said, back off. Watch it. He's using a Sith amulet. They're deadly. I got him. Grab the amulet. And they're, like, all grabbing him at that point. And that's when she's just like, he's not going to come. And she's just like, wait, listen to me. We're leaving Yulek here. And the brother's like, wait, what? Are you nuts? Leave him here will be a death sentence. Okay, you know the master's told us. Yulek will come of his own free choice or not at all. That is the Jedi way. And so they, they leave him behind. You're just like, well, this can't end well, right? I mean, and I think at this point, like you said, we're really wrapping up. We're like four pages from the end, maybe five but again the dialogue and, and all the written word is about to just pile on. <laughs>
0: yeah, that's so <a>, um so <laughs> Xarkun comes out of his little hidey hole and decides that he needs to take everyone out. He's like, You clearly are trying to get at my power. I am the only one. And so he takes out does he kill Lima or just zap her? Um, he zaps her. Yeah. yeah, and so that's where Ulick must defend his lady love and take down Xarkun, and they they start fighting. Um, at which point, their uh, their dueling amulets go. Hey, look, you're the ying to my yang. Uh-huh. Let's uh let's form a pact, and all of the ancient Sith uh dark Lords kind of appear in the background and go, please stop. Let's have it. Let's have it. let's have a chat.
1: See, and, and that's what I found was really important was it's the dark Lords. It's not the Sith, not the Sith species, but these are the dark Lords. These were the dark Jedi that took over and subjugated the species and was in the process of exterminating them. And I like how the narration talks about it all being part of a larger plan that was set forth eons ago. Um, and, and the, the, like you said, yin and yang. Both Jedi are master swordsmen. Neither can claim the advantage with the lightsaber. And I mean, they're literally going to town here, and just neither one is able to come across. But you start to see the amulets start to glow, like you said, and they, like the energy of the two, mesh together until both of them are engulfed in that energy. And it says, as Eulach prepares, as Eulach parries Coon's savage thrust, the Sith amulets begin to glow; their inner workings awakened from a thousand years' sleep. The light from the ancient talisman expands and then joins into one brightness, enveloping the two warriors in mysterious energies. This is a moment conceived in the long-forgotten time when the Sith were a mighty race of magicians. A time when the Sith people were being driven to extinction by the Jedi Knights and the armies of the galactic republic a time when sith magic learned how to construct amulets to carry a message down through the centuries and at that point that's when you see like you said the, the spirits of all the ancient sith lords behind them and this is a message from their reigning dark lord of the sith who they don't claim it to be but i'm assuming this is mark aragnus
0: it, it is it is mark ragnus it's the first time we actually see Marco Ragnos. I was actually reading some of the notes um, and it was kind of funny. It's like, we've never seen Marco Ragnos alive. Right. Because yeah. when when we go back to Golden Age of the Sith, it's at his funeral.
1: He's already dead. Yeah. I, I And I think, I would probably blame the dark crystal for why I always thought he might have been alive. Like, <laughs> cause you see the emperor die. I, I always kind of felt like we saw him alive and, and then dying, but yeah, you're right. No, he was already dead.
0: Yeah. It's uh. so this is his first appearance. It, literally right here. Although you're right. They do not say, uh, cause you looks like, who are you? And, um, Exar Kun is like, I know him. I've seen his mummified remains on Corban, And he's like, right. it doesn't matter. It matters not who I am. My power is all that concerns you. <laughs> like, don't look behind the curtain. One, <laughs>
1: right. what's interesting, too, is, is Ragnus would have been a pure blood Sith. He wouldn't have been of the Dark Lord's side of things. <laughs> so well, it's I th- like-
0: th- that may have been a lot of the retconning, because I think the the eventually what we get is the dark Jedi interbred with the Mm -hmm. Sith. And so all the dark Lords were all mixed. Um, they're all part human, part Sith.
1: Right. So he continues, you of the future. Hear me. Well, these two amulets are joined. The time is upon you. You have chosen. Now you are the chosen. And they're like, who are you? And that's where he said. I know those mummified remains. Uh, It matters not who I am. My power is all that concerns you. You have both found the amulets and each other. Now the power of these amulets is joined. And I have come. I now complete your initiation to the power of the dark side. So that you may bring to pass the great destiny foretold. Exar Kun, because of you, the Sith will never die. You have rightly earned the title of Dark Lord of the Sith. And he puts his hand on his forehead. And up until that line, you kind of almost got the feeling that this was a recording. But the fact that he knows his name, like this can't be a recording, which makes you wonder, like, was these amulets somehow able to pull his spirit to that moment? Like, there's a lot of questions that I have about how that works. Uh, but he continues, The other Jedi, you Queldrama, he too has taken the dark road. Queldrama will be your first and foremost apprentice. By your free choice, you both have come. By your free choice, you... By your free choice... God damn it.
0: Both <laughs> of you have... Yes. I just picture him talking. Um, Like, you give him, like, nice deep voice. I'm expecting him to talk like um Mike Tyson. by a free choice, both of you have become part of the grand
1: design. (laughs) In my time, even as the Galactic Republic battles us to extinction, we now secure the future. And when the Sith will take their revenge. I mean, so you you do get the feeling like, you know, the whole Banes 2 and, and having a plot like this could, you know, be implied that this is all part of that great plan. Um, but then we get back to Alima, you know, so she, we know she's alive. As she regains consciousness, she beholds the astonishing transformation in her lover, Ulick. Ulick, Quell Drama, and the intruder are rippling with dark side energy, more powerful than all her Sith magic has given her. And they're both got the little burn stars in their foreheads. Uh, you know, Coons is, is like a reddish color, and uh, Ulick's is more of like a bluish purple. Let it be so, Queldroma. The ancient Sith have spoken. Together we will bring down the galaxy. Yes, let it be so.
0: I find it interesting, the the kind of the star point, um, Marka mm. Ragnos points, literally puts two fingers to Ulick Keldroma's forehead. So that makes sense. It, it's like a yeah. little circle. But he puts his whole palm onto Exar Kun and still gets that same circle thing. And like... <laughs> So it you didn't need to do the the whole palm you could have just put the the two fingers on and gotten the same uh effect but regardless right? Marco like what you were saying about um how the how they were they called the the dark side guys here Marco Ragnos doesn't look like a force ghost at all right. like he looks like he's right. actually like there like they didn't blow him up at all
1: Right it's like a recording he took while he was still alive in regular you know flesh and blood that's interesting take for sure
0: (laughs) it it, it was before they kind of decided how they were going to go about the whole force ghost thing because clearly Mm. these guys are here like you said like you said it it, it kind of felt like a recording until he said his name but even then they like zapped him and gave him the scars on their forehead so like they are there they they did that so it's um it's similar to how Yoda in The Last Jedi called down the lightning on the tree. Like they, the Force ghosts still have a presence in our world. Like even back, way back in the '90s, like we we saw it then.
1: It's it's funny too because the dark side's like a vampire. You know, like you have to invite it in, and and they both do it, but they do it reluctantly. They're both put into a position. That corrupts them by their choice to get into that position with Kuhn. It was the the decision to go to Korriban, which he then gets trapped. And the only way out is to to accept the dark power. And then that dark power starts corrupting him.
0: I feel like Kuhn was a little more straightforward, though, like he clearly right. wanted this.
1: Right. Well, and and they, they allude to that at the beginning, too, because uh, his master's like, you know, there's a void in your heart, and I can't see it, and, and that's part of the dickishness that he has. I know my own heart, and you're just like... So there was definitely something there that was preluded to, but it's like, once the dark side kind of does its thing, that seems to be like the ultimate corrupting. Like, even with Ulic, like, he, he walks forward, but once he starts using the dark side, it continues to move him forward. Like, I feel like with his character story, it's more like the dark side has twisted him. It's where he walked into it and then it was like the dark side just continued to push him. That's what
0: I feel like when we get more to the redemption arc, mm-hmm. that's where the reason Ulick is a Dark Lord of the Sith is important. And like right. by, like he was very reluctant and I think you're right, I think he was poisoned. Essentially, and mm-hmm. that was the whole plot. like XR Kuhn stepped proudly through the door, even though they kind of made it like he didn't like, no, no, please, no. Um, yeah, right. Uh, and but Ulik was kind of getting dragged through the door to the dark side.
1: right. when it was almost like Kuhn just wanted to know more, but he wasn't really searching for power at first because like as he tries to use his his force abilities, You know, he, he too also was kind of leaning towards the light first and, and slow to accept using the dark side where he was very open to learning about the dark side right away. Um, but yeah, it's like once they both started dabbling in it, man, you really watch them just shift over to the point where they're like, yep, we're going to do it. Let's, let's take everything out.
0: (laughs) And then they get that, um, eighties movie image where they like, um, they they clasp hands, but uh, like the full, they, it's like with the full forearm, like bulging Double biceps. Dragon. Yeah, like yeah, the the yeah. um,
1: or, or Ken and Ryu. Yeah,
0: <laughs> I, I'm thinking like the Expendables type uh, type thing yeah. where you have um, Schwarzenegger and Stallone or something that that
1: I, ridiculous. I it was funny. <laughs> I realized this time through that we get Stang for the first time. Um, Kay uses the the Star Wars swear word. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> in this. And there was also another one like in one of the riot scenes uh, when they were first talking about the craft and stuff. You see some people in the background holding up their pinky like they're flipping off the main guy and i'm like is that the star wars bird is the pinky like is it it's brought up like two or three times you'll see people in the background and they're holding up just their pinky like they're flipping the bird but it's clearly not the middle finger
0: (laughs) maybe they're just preparing for tea time (laughs) right (laughs) i'm ready for my earl gray yeah
1: Oh man. So, yeah, I mean, that's kind of where the story ends. It just literally like builds up to that point of, Oh crap. Uh, They've accepted their destiny and we're, we're moving forward. Um, And that's where I feel like this would really make a good films trilogy. Um, You know, and you could easily choose to tell this story as it's told or even retool it a little bit. Um, You know, we, we, I think that was a good time to go into the follow-up in that regard. You know, like what, you know, should it be brought into canon? What would need to be changed to be adopted? What we'd rate it in covers. And I, I feel like with the fact that they haven't really gone with the ancient Sith being a species and stuff, I feel like it should be brought into canon in the aspect of, of fleshing out more of the past, go back a lot farther than the high Republic to tell this story. I would say at least maybe 2000 years past the high Republic, Put it way in the past. Um, that would be the number one thing you would need to to adopt and change for it. And then determine whether or not you want to have a Sith species in canon at all. And, you know, if you're not going to do it, this would be how you would retool it in a way that would, you know, solidify that and, and write them out in a sense. Or if you chose to bring them in, tell it in a new way. But I, I think that that would be a cool way to give us more on the background of the Sith in that regard, because like I'm still waiting to see more of that. I think there's been one or two books where we've had off cast mentions of the Sith being a, you know, coming from the Jedi and they were just dark Jedi that became the Sith. Um, but they could still change that if they wanted to or, like I said, solidify it. Yeah, I,
0: I would say they could bring this in as is. Like, I I don't even see any changes needed. I agree with you that it should be set further back than the High Republic that we're dealing with. Like, a couple thousand years before, um, because we do have mentions of the Sith battling people about a thousand years before the movies, um, vaguely referenced. But this couple thousand years ago fits right in. Like, nothing, uh, nothing is super like weird uh you do have a couple like arca disappears in the force um i believe i believe in the comics on the co- like when we get yeah. to the covers he definitely does um but i believe in the in the book he does but uh
1: he does yeah 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 it's
0: like i don't see any problems with it and it's like super fun i really enjoy this series and um even just going over it today i i, I enjoyed it because it is just, like, an interesting take on the story. Like, mm-hmm. different... Like, I guess if we were to change something, give Nomi a more important role.
1: Right, yeah. Change her last name to get rid of the uh, the Sunrider issue that they had that they couldn't tell other stories. Because uh, Bastila Shan, I believe, or, or Setiel Shan...
0: Uh, B- Bastila. Bastila, yeah.
1: Yeah, she was supposed to have been uh, Nomi's daughter, uh, and so they retooled that. I... And I can't find it, but I want to say there was even a mention of the uh, Hundred Year War of Darkness and stuff. Um, but I can't find it right now. They I want to do say
0: mention the... it in the story somewhere. I think right towards the beginning. Um, but I don't know off the top of my head. Yeah,
1: that's probably why I can't find it because I'm in the back of it. Yeah, but Yeah, there's a lot of stuff that I felt for the lore of Legends continuity... So much of the background of what the Sith are, what they were, what they represented, and the, the convolutedness of their origin all comes out of this. But it's it's in such a brilliant way. Um, aside from the Mark Ragnus thing. I mean, and now that we were talking about that and thinking, like, you know, is he supposed to be a pure blood Sith or is he supposed to be one of the Dark Jedi ones and how that, like... That being retcon, I think, is probably the only weak spot in the story plot. And I don't think that that's something you can fault Tom or Kevin, <laughs> because that's just one of those things. They decided to take it in a slightly different direction later. Yeah,
0: just yeah, they changed where they were leading on that. I don't even know. Double check who even wrote. Yeah. Uh, Kevin J. Anderson was the sole author on Golden Age.
1: OK. Hmm. Interesting. So what would I rate it? Um, you know, I, this one is probably one of my favorite, most telling stories from this era, uh, with the one that follows probably being right there with it. I, I'm going to give this one a solid nine. Um, you know, it jumps right in. You don't necessarily have to know, but again, if you do know, you get a lot more depth out of the story. Um, you know, even rereading this so many years later, there's still new things that I'm seeing and finding. So I, I definitely enjoy it. Uh, love it. Yeah. High nine for me, my man.
0: (laughs) (laughs) My Susie Husky is, uh, starting to get into things. So I'm trying to hold her back. (laughs) That's cute. (laughs) Yes, I love you too um so i would say i know like kind of jumping ahead to what we haven't even covered yet i know redemption is my absolute favorite of the series i think it wraps up absolutely fantastically so i'm kind of like hedging my bets on this one because i know that one's so good um so yeah i'd say definitely like an eight like i I greatly enjoyed this i don't remember my feelings on the next arc so we'll see kind of how i go from here just even just looking at the art, I think the art is better in the next start than it was on this one. And I kind of liked this one. So yeah, I'd say, I'd say we're seven and a half eight right now.
1: Nice. Well, in sticking with the art, uh, let's roll into the covers. Uh, You know, we've, we've mentioned the omnibus cover before is actually from one of the earlier ones with uh, Nami Sunrider and her daughter when they're on, I believe it's, not Onderon, it's uh, Thom's Homeworld.
0: Yeah, I don't remember the name of it, but you're right. That's uh...
1: Yeah, so the trade paperback is probably one of my favorites, only because of the likenesses of certain characters in it. Uh, it looks like uh, Ulick Qualdroma is played by one Robert Downey Jr., in it, uh, I mean, everybody in it doesn't quite look like themselves. Even Nami Sunrider looks like she might be being portrayed by the likeness of an actress. Uh, Yule or not Yule, uh Kay Keldrama almost has a Harrison Ford or Fabio kind of look to him. Uh, and what's interesting about Kuhn is he's represented twice. We see him with his Sith forehead, which... Ironically, the emblem on his forehead isn't at all the emblem that we get in the comic. But we also see his body in front of that, like silhouetted.
0: The the Highlander pose. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, yeah, the Highlander pose. But yeah, that Robert Downey Jr.-ness of Ulick is just almost distracting.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I don't even know because that doesn't come up in any of the um, main comic covers. So I don't know where the, the trade cover came from.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's interesting.
0: Cuz yeah, I
1: was like, "Huh? Where did this come from?"
0: Cuz issue number 1 we're seeing uh Ulick and I don't know who is that that's not um Nomi with him. It's uh, if it is, it she doesn't have her weird widow's peak.
1: Right? Right? Well, and, and I like, who is the Older Jedi in the the main corner of that. I'm like, i
0: don't know. That's that's really weird. Like that whole thing.
1: Oh, I bet that's Arca, which, which doesn't look him anything look, human.
0: look like his uh, his in the, the comics uh, right. persona. So yeah, that's um, just weird. like they're riding into battle. I uh, at Um Onderon.
1: Mm-hmm. but
0: it's weird. Uh, yeah, and then. Issue number two, we see some random soldier holding a spike, a pike, and a gun has a a patch over his eye and piecemealed armor on the battlefield. Again, not really anything to do with the story.
1: (laughs) Well, to a degree, it, it did. I'm trying to find that because I want to say their armor was brought up at one point when these guys came into the battle oh where was that oh yeah right here let's see as Master Arca speaks the Krath are moving so these guys would be Krath uh, are moving an ancient military command station in a position over Croas Major the last planet to hold out against the coup Uh, the assault ships of the Krath are unique um Okay, right. they're wearing ceremonial armor from an earlier time. That's what that is. That's the Krath warriors with their ceremonial armor. Yeah. And this is basically during them, uh, the Krath, taking over the Teta system. And at the point where this armor is brought in, they're at the last planet, which is where the Jedi come in, because there's only one planet left in the system that hasn't fallen to the Krath, and that's where they kind of, like, do their stand. And the whole story is set around that stand there at the very end, so... That's how that plays in.
0: Eh meh. <laughs> meh. Uh the next one actually does um uh matter. Uh it's uh mm-hmm. Yulik over the fallen uh Master Arca, but not really Master Arca, it's just Master Arca's clothes. Uh, <laughs> and uh he had disappeared, so it's just the clearly the Master Arca disappeared uh um version I actually really like this one i i, I think because yeah. it's uh, also pivotal to where ulik uh goes in his story
1: right this is definitely my favorite um if I would have to select one that would be my number one, it would be this one hands down and then like I like the color too it just I, it just has I, that
0: look it it's very it's very well done it's very like painted really well, especially when you compare it to the next one, which is much more—it's much weirder. It looks like um, much less fleshed out than the, the previous one. It's kind of like drawn real quick. It shows the big beast that Xarkun fights in the, mm-hmm. on, on Yavin four. Yeah, on Yavin four, but it looks weird.
1: Yeah, and and the Masai guy running. So, like in in the comic, there are. All the Masai, and then there is the priest. But there's also like a bigger, like almost black, gray skin-colored Masai. That's they never really tell you what he is. And I, I guess that that must be the Masai we're seeing running in the picture. But he looks
0: almost. Um, human. I like the
1: action. Yeah, he does. He does. That's the one thing about this issue or this cover that just doesn't really fit. He doesn't matter. You take that guy out, and this is a really cool scene. Like I would actually almost. Rather have this art style in that scene than what we actually had. Like, I, I there's something I would, about the grittiness here.
0: I wouldn't mind the art style in the comic, but as a cover, it looks um yeah, it, it doesn't look yeah. complete. It looks kind of like quickly, uh quickly added.
1: Right. And then, Five feels like it's like you know we're we're reminding you once again that Nami Sunrider plays a pivotal role in the comic. We're going to give her her own cover here. <laughs> who? <laughs> yeah, yeah that, that that other girl, the the other girl that was trying to get in the way of Ulick's love interest.
0: Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. And then the last one, probably my second favorite, is Ulik holding up the lightsaber double-handed uh in front of flames behind him and kind of looks disheveled.
1: Mhm. Yeah. Yeah, he almost looks like he's uh, taken a, a hit to the forehead or, or a temple there. Uh, yeah, I, I agree. This one, has, I like the, the lightsaber look. Um, it has that ancient type feel. Uh, it definitely feels very classic Star Wars. You know, you almost get Vader vibes from the way his belt and his, his chest plate are set up and the way his uh, arm glove material comes down into the glove itself. Yeah, I would say this is probably another strong one. Definitely, though, my favorite is is uh, Ulick with his master being gone. Definitely, uh, hands down, my favorite of all of them.
0: I th- I hundred I percent agree. I, it's also the most story driven cover. Like mm-hmm. it, it matches the story like to a t. Even this last one, it, the last one looks good, but it doesn't tell you anything. Like it's like uh. it, this could be literally the cover of any of the six because it doesn't it just shows you like standing there with a lightsaber. Like it's okay. Right. Okay. Like,
1: <laughs> I, and and I got it, you know, when I pull out the omnibus one again and I'm looking at it and I'm just like, I, I really feel like they blew it putting Nomi on the cover of this one. Like I, it really should have been that one of, of you and his master. I, I, I feel I, like the story. Yeah. yeah. The whole, the whole omnibus here is really more his story than her story. Even though, Let's see. Does the omnibus have her story at the beginning, or is she? No, already...
0: they say it start this. Yeah, the omnibus starts uh, Freedom Ned.
1: Yeah, yeah. This is, should have totally had him on the cover. Like that was a, a totally missed uh, opportunity there. <laughs> well, Jim, I think uh, we're at that point to uh, start wrapping out. Unless you had anything else you wanted to mention, anything else you wanted to go over, or anything that uh, you've missed in your show notes.
0: No, I think uh, I think that's pretty much everything on my end.
1: Okay, yeah, that's uh, I'm in the same boat. I I, you know, we mentioned the the dark side ghost was mentioned in the actual dialogue. Like that's definitely one of the things I like about Legends, uh, you know, that we definitely have Sith spirits, um, you know, canon Probably will never adopt that. But I always thought it was a really cool, you know, aspect that not only were the light and the dark at war with each other in nature, but you had the, you know, the spirits of each kind of trying to guide the next generation. And I thought that was kind of cool too. So God, I got to say, I I really enjoyed this era Um, when the High Republic in canon kind of jumped back. I was kind of hoping for more stories, you know, kind of like this but they chose to not go back as far so the Sith really aren't playing a factor into things um but i i am looking forward to that era of the new canon when we get back to the ancient Sith and the time frame before Bane's rule of 2 like we really don't have anything there i think the fact that we know about Rasan and the rule of 2 i think that's the farthest back we have of any kind of information aside from the Jedi themselves springing forth the Sith order through a sect. I think that's that's about all canon-wise we've gotten. So, I'm definitely looking forward to that in canon as we go forward because this is one of my favorites in Legends, for sure.
0: Yes. I agree. <laughs>
1: Now, that about wraps up this episode of Star Wars Beyond the Films. We'd like to thank you once again for hanging around with us as we ponder on sharing our fandom. Remember, you can always listen to our episodes streaming online on the Star Wars Report website, Second Airborne Division of Podcasts, at www.starwarsreport.com com. Episodes are also available on Stitcher as well as Spotify and even on iTunes. And as always, we encourage you to leave us a review while you're at it. You can uh, help us grow as a show. You can find links to our episodes on both our Twitter and Facebook pages at SW Beyond Films. Hey, but just be sure to type in stars beyond the films in the search bar. No matter how you get there, though, be sure to like our Facebook page. It's one of the best ways to interact with us. It's our own home one, if you will. Not only can you post comments to us about the show, we love interacting with you fellow fans. So if you have any Star Wars questions, Legends questions, canon questions, or any other comments about past episodes, you can always email us directly at films at starwarsfamers.com. Now, lastly, before we go, we want to mention to you our sponsors, Audible. If you go to www.audibletrial.com slash Star Wars you get a free trial run of Audible.com to see what they're all about. Our sponsors have more than 100,000 titles. You can explore the Star Wars Expanded Universe or any other genre without risk of being stuck with a book you flat out hate because Audible members, they can exchange any book within 12 months, that's one year, with no questions asked. So in this digital age, if you're thinking of making a switch from the page to the audiobook, Audible just might be right for you. So, once again, for Stars Beyond the Films, it's been Mark and Whistler.
0: And Jim and Susie crawling on me.
1: (laughs) Saying thanks for listening and
0: may the force be with you. Don't quote us the odds. That something, something,
1: something. something. (laughs) Uh, What are the odds that we will finally get a six? I'm, I'm beginning to wonder if we will ever see that, <laughs> and I'm not even really upset if we don't. I would love it if
0: we did, but uh, I think they would have to go there first. Like I,
1: I, I think right. they're they're avoiding it at the moment. Yeah. I, and like I said, I hope they go back like twenty thousand years. You know, let the species be lost in time or something.